0: good morning
1: good morning everyone well about a month ago we stood on this stage and the elders laid hands on us and sent us to zambia and uh, with your blessing and encouragement and uh, the prayer backing that you had for us. And we're so thankful for the uh, privilege of being able to give a report today. Uh, and it was a privilege to be able to go. Um, there are two different groups that are kind of represented by this presentation. The first is Hands of Hope. Hands of Hope is a not-for-profit that was started by Vicki Waterlick. And she's sitting right there and doesn't want me to mention her, but I'm going to mention her anyway. <laughs> John and Vicky are the ones that kind of started that about 20 years ago. And uh, Hands of Hope began addressing the significant needs of the impoverished people in rural areas of the western province of Zambia about 10 years ago. Hands of Hope addresses a cycle of poverty by building trust and authentic relationships with local people living in areas where, um, where they work, listening carefully to them, caring for them, encouraging them, and working alongside of them to empower them to change their lives. Uh, together, we envision, create, manage, and sustain projects that healthcare and training resources that increase agricultural production uh, and economic, economic development. These integrated efforts have proven to ignite hope, restore dignity, and energize communities to join together for a better tomorrow. The next, uh, the next section of our talk is going to be looking at those things that are being done. That was the goal going into Zambia 10 years ago. And we're now, Jeannie and I have only gone twice, once three years ago, and now just this last month, and uh, have been so impressed with what has been accomplished. So we'll talk about that first, and then we'll look at what's going on with the church. So if you want to start with the pictures, um, the, first thing, the first concern was water, fresh water. It's hard for us to imagine not having fresh water and what that means, uh, but
0: I wish I had a picture of the last time I was there we took a picture of this hole in the ground that had what looked like dirty water and that's what the people were using and still use the people who don't have these borehole these pumps that have been put in and Hands of Hope has put in about 150 of these wells um, so it is estimated 28,000 28, uh, lives have, have been, been impacted by that. This. And the significance of that is not just the day-to-day of uh, dragging a bucket. They put them on their heads, these women, walking very great distances to get water. But it's clean water. So in just talking with the nurses there, it makes a difference in the health care there because dysentery is you know, greatly improved by having clean water and not taking water out of a hole in the ground that has been clothes washed in it, who knows who's gone to the bathroom nearby there, or whatever, so it's it's really impacted them just in day-to-day life in cooking and cleaning and having fresh water nearby.
1: So 150 wells was the first concern, and they continue to do these boreholes to bring fresh water to new communities uh, and closer water, fresh water to communities. Agriculture, uh, as we go into agriculture, this has uh, generational change. It doesn 't just change for today. Uh, teaching people to grow crops in sandy soil, it is much harder. It, it, I was telling people there in Zambia, not that they appreciated my perspective, but in Illinois, you can take a, a seed, throw it out the window of your car, and there's a pretty good chance it's going to grow. Uh, that's not the case in this sandy soil in Africa. Uh, it is hard to grow. They have this system uh, called biochar, and if actually, if you go back one, Julie. Uh, I want to introduce you to Philemon. This is Philemon, who is uh, Philemon is how we'd pronounce it, but Philemon is uh, is a man who had a vision three years ago to do a farm where he could train others to do this and send them home. And in three years' time, we are seeing that impact already where he's doing these farms, and we see the result of that in some of these pictures, and also the result where some of his students are going back to their communities and are doing these farms and changing the culture, not just for this generation, but for many generations, as they, they learn to really farm. They don't really
0: have a way to um, get an income out in this bush area. It's difficult, and there's no animals to hunt anymore. So they get some food from the government. It's kind of a starchy product that they eat, really, all the time, and to teach them to grow their own food and to plant these trees, they have lots of fruit trees that they've planted, as well allows them to get some food for themselves, but also to get enough food to sell, which will bring in an income. So it's, it's really helping them for the long term.
1: It's a very difficult work. Uh, this is not farming like I knew when I was young and, and was able to work on a farm and had tractors and irrigation systems. This is uh, providing them with pumps and irrigation that allows them to build this. Actually, that, this picture shows where they're pre-planting crops and then they'll, they'll transplant it into the fields where they have the irrigation. So it's, uh, they've really, it's been a remarkable work in three years. And to be able to see that and to see the hope and the joy that comes from that is really cool. Uh, animal husbandry. This is a really important piece. Uh, this, you're just going to see a picture of a goat and some chickens. but
0: Because it's so cute.
1: Yeah, Not, <laughs> not just because it's cute, because uh, they not only produce food and produce towards the future, but uh, their feces is part of the plan for being able to use the, the crops and, and grow the crops. So it's all holistic. as they, That provides the fertilization for that property. And um,
0: So, Hands of Hope has given um, goats away, and they've worked with them on how to use those and to not eat them, but to have them generate for them a possible income. And same with the chickens, in not, you know, they want to eat them because they don't have much, but to not eat them, let them grow and populate and use their eggs and actually make a business where then you can sell chickens. So, um, that's being taught to them as well. And this
1: is, uh, Jeannie brings up or alludes to something that is actually very difficult. Uh, Poverty is a disease all by itself. Uh, It is very hard to train someone to think differently than if I get something, I'm going to eat it right now. Um, And there is an expediency to poverty that I need to fill this need now, and that's my only concern, is to solve what's happening today. But part of it is to train people to think longer term, to think towards the future, to learn how to save, to learn how to keep chickens. you know, Sometimes you give people chickens and they kill them and eat them. Well, they're hungry, but if they could learn to wait and eat the eggs and produce more chickens, they could have a business that would provide for them for long-term. This is really hard work.
0: And I don't know that we can really recognize the poverty. It's just not like anything you see here in America. This home you see behind them is just made out of straw and some of them have mud huts, which are a little bit of an upgrade from just the, the straw that they're building these houses with. Um, they don't have running water, they don't have electricity. I don't know how long it would take them to walk to the city, I'm not sure, a day, the whole day. I mean, the whole day it's, and it's, it's, it's hard to walk in before, the sandy soil. Before
1: and, Hands of Hope got involved, healthcare was hours walk away. Hours and hours, and people didn't have vehicles, um, or have gas, or have. I mean, poverty is awful in this bush area. So uh, the next issue is clinics, and um, if you uh, this is gives you a little bit of the sign of what Hands of Hope has been building. Uh, their goal is not to build buildings like they have. Their goal is to give them the best buildings that are available in Zambia. The culture is such that in the city. They have the nicer buildings, and there's an expectation because the city tends to think that they're better people and worthy of it. Uh, in the in the in the bush, this is not the kind of building that they would have. This is a clinic, and Jeannie will tell you a little bit about what the important work that the clinic does.
0: So this clinic is a new clinic, and they've Hands of Hope has done three clinics. Um, it is in an area where. Um, as they come in, they bring in a school, which we'll get to, and you know, starting with the, the water, bringing in the water, and then bringing a school, because a lot of these kids aren't educated, and then a clinic, so they don't have to walk so far. And this has made a huge impact in the area where these clinics are. Not only do they have to, don't have so far to walk, they still may have to walk. You know, a couple hours to get here, but it is at least doable for them to do. the The, the government provides the nurses, and Hands of Hope provides the clinic, and then the nursing housing um, on the property as well as some boreholes halls for them as. To. But it's a very, you know, it's very different than what our system would be here. It probably moves a lot faster just because you don't have all the legal issues and everything. But this would be if you were going to have your baby. That is where you would have your baby on that white gurney there. Um, this is an upgrade from having it in the dirt in your hut. Um, The nurses, there's not electricity. Uh, We learned last time that the nurses were having difficulty. They had a cell phone that they were trying to use the light on their cell phone to deliver babies at night. So Hands of Hope provided some, you know, those headlamps you can put around your head, like if you're camping or working in a dark space or spelunking, and that just makes it (laughs) hands-free for the nurses to deliver at night. Um, It's very bare bones. They have um, a very organized system. This is an example of a chart um, on, I think this is the malaria chart, but they keep charts and they keep records. So they have a clinic for HIV, a clinic for AIDS, a TB clinic. Um, They've really seen the numbers go down. Um, Dysentery, like I said, is greatly improved by having the water. Um, and they've just seen a, I asked her on the infant mortality in having the clinic, and the word has gotten out to have your babies in the clinic, and their infant mortality was zero uh, since the clinic. So they're getting there. It makes a huge difference in these people's lives. Um, That is an example of the the water, where they don't have, obviously, running water. Um, And you'll see these buckets everywhere with soap. And they really push hand washing. I saw a chart in one of the schools on the system of if you have dirty hands and what happens at the feces and your hands, and it was this whole cycle of what happened leading to you getting sick. So they really do push, they eat everything with their hands and you'll see people right before they eat, they all will line up to wash their hands. So that message is getting across too. So having this, the nurses on site, local, and being able to do these clinics, is, it, you can imagine how it impacts um, this community uh, in their health
1: well-being yeah Yeah, dysentery uh, aids treatments are available malaria treatments they opened up the the uh, closet where they had their medicines and it was sparse Uh, we brought down with us some pain relievers and it's just weird to think in a world where you get a headache and you don't have anything to do about it there's nothing available um, when everything is so available for us so um, anyway education is the next one And uh, the goal is to, uh, there was one meeting where they went into uh, with a group of kids. This is a group of kids at Lutende, one of the places where they have a school. And uh, uh, they came to the same community and asked the gathering of kids, uh, 100 or 200 strong, how many of you are going to school? And three kids raised their hands, which means poverty continues because of a lack of education. And there are other issues with education. But the goal of Hands of Hope would be to build buildings, uh, build church schools, and uh, they've done a number of them now, uh, 1,600 enrolled kids in these rural areas uh, now with the schools that have been put in. Um, but I have to say again how hard this work is. You would think that if someone came in and did this for you, your heart would be filled with gratitude, you would be inspired to work, you would be inspired to just make, take advantage of what was given to you and maybe even pay it forward and give to others. Uh, this is a, the work that's being done so far that we've described, no one's asking if they're Christian. No one's asking if they're, they're just providing this for people that need it, and it's not tied to the church yet. It's just available for the whole community. And there are some very discouraging times. There was one, our second day there on the ground where we went to school, I have to tell you, I was angry. All this stuff had been given in this school, and we were looking at the all the classrooms, better classrooms than they've ever had, and the teachers just lined up and complained about what they had, and eh, didn't get get. And, I, and I, I don't, I'm just telling you that it's hard to help people really. There are th- you can throw money at it. We sat with the king and the king. we had a conversation with the king talking about uh, the help that's been done. And Vicky explained the help that had been done, and, uh, and he said, "Well, this is actually working." So many people that come to help us, it doesn't actually work. It's hard when people come, Philemon gets that, that uh, field ready, and half the people don't want to farm. And everything is ready for them to farm. And before we point fingers, I have to tell you that, it's, that aren't we like that spiritually also? That we can be pretty sluggish and slow and not really help ourselves when help has been afforded to us in Christ.
0: And just in addition to that, these women are impacted. They are, um, you know, they like I said, they do a lot of the work, a lot of the manual labor, and caring for the home, and getting the water, and carrying things. I don't know how they do it on their heads, but. with school, they're having babies. They're kind of um, ready to be married early off in life, and they then if they were able to go to school, they have to drop out to take care of the babies. So the school in Latende has a secondary school uh, Hansel Pope also has a secondary school that they started um, maybe four years ago, three years ago. And um, these secondary schools allow these moms to come, these adults can be male or female, to come back to school. So we met with a couple moms who they walk far. Uh, one lady was walking an hour and a half one way to get to the secondary school because she wants to be a nurse. And so she's getting her education going to school with her kids, which is so awesome because it's giving them opportunities they would have never had if these schools weren't present in their area.
1: So while this is all going on, there is this uh, work that Hands of Hope has been doing. Uh, There is a couple that has been building and planting churches alongside of it. This work is all humanitarian. Hands of Hope is, is supported by those who aren't necessarily Christian and cares for people that aren't necessarily Christian. But at the same time, there have been those who have been planting churches in these communities that have been changed. And the churches are exploding. Uh, these four guys are four of the eight pastors who are pastoring churches that have started in the last five years. The guy on the far, my, your far left, Binwell, is the pastor who is training pastors. And four of the eight pastors uh, became believers in the last five years Lives changed and are now pastors and trained and you go to church and it's like the church is exploding. The church is alive. The church is exciting. I want what they have.
0: And just to tell you, for those of us who drove here this morning, these people are walking. I talked to one um, man who was walking two hours to help with a new church plant that was further out. Two hours one way. I don't know if you can really tell these roads, but it's just sandy and hard to walk in in most of the way. And he is doing that. People out in that area were coming that far every Sunday to get to a church because they didn't have a church in their area. And talk about commitment. You know, it took me 10 minutes to drive here today. And I know there's many who don't come because it's an inconvenience for them. And I think, man, How cool is that? What a sacrifice to walk so far to go to church. It makes me want to cry. I mean, what are we? We're so used to having things at our fingertips, and they're willing to sacrifice their entire Sunday walking to get to church.
1: So, Julie, hold this picture just for a second. This is a church building that has been built. And, um, you know, if you were to drive by it, you'd think, well, why did you plant a church in the middle of nowhere? You know, but the, the truth of this bush area is that. People are living in these huts spread out through the bush and they'll walk, like Jeannie said, two hours to get to this church and it fills up. And it might represent, I tried to get some idea of how many people, there's no way to know how many people live in a three three kilometer radius around a church. But of the seven or 800 people that live in this three kilometer, 200 of them are going to church. 200 of them are believers in Jesus Christ now. And there's eight churches that have, Uh, that are either beginning or are established now in the last five years. Uh, People talk about Jesus coming to town, coming to our neighborhood. Doesn't Jesus care about us too? And uh, it's exciting. So for Jeannie and I, we are gonna be uh, starting a new 501c3. Someone has donated the legal, uh, which just started it this week. Uh, It's gonna be called Zambia Acts. And instead of having just a couple, support all of the church work uh, we are going to start by supporting the church work with this 501c3 and Jeannie and I are going to be part of that um, Zambia acts there's a uh, part of the team is called Zambia works and the president talked about that for a lot The the king talked about Zambia works uh, Zambia acts is tied for me to the book of Acts and that's what makes me love it is that God is exploding the church in this community where uh, really a forgotten community and uh
0: so you know just to see these people come to church and sing i um they just belt it out and you can just see the joy in their hearts as they're singing and you'll see it in the schools too um the singing and you'll see a christian impact within the schools but i you know we i had one lady come up to me as we were leaving and she grabbed my hands with both her hands and she said thank you so much for coming all this way to see us Please, don't forget about us. You know, they are forgotten. They're out in the bush. Even their own country has kind of passed them by, and they've been left so far back, as you can tell from these huts that they're living in, and, you know, it's just way forgotten. And just don't forget about us. So I hope as a church we can come alongside and help not forget about these people.
1: Um, Thanks, Jeannie. Well, we didn't expect to get teary-eyed about it. <laughs> I, uh, I do see comparisons to us today uh, and what they're dealing with. And, and in many ways, I feel like we are an impoverished society in a different way. Uh, we're moving towards being post-Christian if we're not already there. Our children don't know the Gospel, and in many cases, there is an aversion to the Gospel. And people's identity has been torn down. People think less of themselves. Anxiety and depression is an all-time high. We're more impoverished than we know. And as we turn to this passage and look at opposition to the Gospel, I think we can identify, in some cases, with what they're going through as an opposition to the Gospel. We're in Acts 19, 23 to 41. And as we look at what the opposition to the gospel is in Zambia, I want to address what the opposition to the gospel is as well here in our communities. Acts 19, 23 to 41. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. That's rare for me. I am um, just going to pick through it some uh, because I've taken a bunch of my sermon time and done, did it as far as... a. Uh, part of the presentation for what we did in Zambia. But I want you to know that for me, I see these uh, fitting together and dovetailing well for the message today. In this story, Paul has been working in Ephesus and all of a sudden a guy is named as one who brings a riot against Paul and the gospel and the way is what it's called. It begins in verse 23 of chapter 19 of Acts and says, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth." And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. This Demetrius sees the gospel as a threat to his existence. This man becomes opposed to the gospel. And maybe you'll wonder, well, how can people be opposed to the gospel? Well, before I went to Zambia, I might be, I was a little surprised. You would think that in every way, everyone would say, Well done, thanks for coming, we're so glad you're here, keep it up. That is not how it's received. You see, the people in the town think they're more valuable than the people in the bush. The people in the bush, and, and why is that important? Well, if you know anything about human condition, We feel better about ourselves when other people are worse off. At least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And And if we can keep them down, the idea that they would have buildings as nice as ours is offensive. Why? Why? It messes with the social order as they know it. What do we know? We know that the people in Mangu may not be the wealthiest people in Zambia, But the people in town at least are more valuable than those people in the bush. They're the butt of our jokes. They're the ones that don't deserve help. If we were to mail in help from here in the United States and say, please get it to the people in the bush, I'm pretty confident it wouldn't get there. Because they're not concerned about the people in the bush. And so it is with us, too. We value people, not as God values them. We value them how we value them. And we're okay if people are beaten down a little bit. I'm not trying to accuse anybody. I'm just saying that people can oppose the message of the gospel because it is offensive that God loves everyone the same. Even we as Christians can sometimes think of ourselves as more qualified for grace than other people, that God picked us because he likes us more, and let's be honest, we're more likable. Not like those people, whoever those people are, the ones that offend, the ones that aren't as worthy, the ones that we look down on, the ones that are struggling. I think this is why God picked widows and orphans as a constant theme in Scripture, by the way, I have my eye on them because you know who was most looked down on was widows and orphans. They must deserve it. God picked them that for that. That's who they are. That's their identity. And who your identity is in Christ is God values you and sees you. That's the message of the gospel. Well, Demetrius is looking at his business and saying, these guys are a threat to my business. I'm going to get my other businessmen together who sell silver, and I'm, we're going to turn against Paul and those people that are telling the gospel. <clears throat> so they get a mob together, and they start chanting that, about why they think this way, this Christianity, this church that's exploding in Ephesus is evil, the evil thing that they should all be afraid of. People against the gospel. Are you surprised that people are against the gospel? I have to admit that there are times I'm shocked. Don't you know God came because he loves you and he sent us to say that he loves you? Why are you so angry? Why are you so frustrated? The truth is, whether you know it or not, if we are a gospel-preaching church and we tell other people the gospel, people will hate us. It's not nice to hear, is it? Why would people hate us? Because you're messing with their stuff and their systems. You're messing with their wealth. People against the gospel. People want to protect their position and power. They're not as interested in the truth. Spiritual forces against the gospel. Did you know that there is spiritual warfare going on in the world? Did you know that it's going on in your neighborhood? I think Satan's plan in the United States was to get us to sleep. I think Satan's plan was to try to convince us that there isn't spiritual warfare. First, in the 20th century, he was trying to convince us that we need to look at the scriptures and say, well, miracles don't, if I can't see miracles, then they don't happen. And there was this big push, even in the seminaries, where seminarians were saying, well, maybe the miracles didn't happen. Maybe Jesus, maybe, maybe in the Red Sea, it wasn't God pushing the Red Sea back, but there was a drought. There's a human reason for it. And that was being taught in seminaries in the 20th century. We have been told and been trying to convince us that maybe Jesus didn't rise from the... That's where it's going to end, by the way. Miracles didn't happen. Spiritual forces aren't at work. There's not demons in the world. There's not those who are fighting against what the church is trying to accomplish that are spiritual. That that's not a real thing, but it ends at the resurrection. And if we believe the resurrection happened, then we believe the scriptures that the spiritual forces are at play as well and they are undermining our families, they are undermining our churches, and they are fighting against what we're trying to accomplish for all those who preach the gospel. Why should we be surprised that it's a difficult work to go to Zambia and bring the gospel? Why should we be surprised that our neighbors don't just welcome us in and say, please, tell me the truth. Spiritual forces against the gospel. Look at the passage in verse 29. It says, So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater. The whole group came together, crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and <clears throat> everyone was filled with confusion and they rushed into the theater. We do not serve a God of confusion. Mobs bring confusion. Look in verse 32, it says, Now some cried out one thing, some another, <clears throat> for the assembly was in confusion, and some of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander uh, from whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But, they, uh, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Many of the people didn't even know why they were chanting it. They're just chanting it. What's going on in the mob? What is Satan's plan? What is the spiritual darkness? What is do you know that there is that Satan is a roaring lion, he prowls around looking for whom he can devour? And the biggest enemy to Satan's plan is Jesus and the gospel. If people believe in the gospel and they understand that Christ died for them and made them joint heirs and, and gives them the Holy Spirit and gives them purpose and a and a vision for who they are gives them an identity that is eternal in christ it changes everything satan's plan is to diminish your identity is to tear you down is to tie your identity to your looks or to your money or to your popularity which by the way will let you down and one day you'll find yourself empty and Christ is trying to tie your identity to him and the work that he did on the cross. Satan's goal is to keep people keep people lost and confused. I believe that Satan is very disappointed by the good work that's going on in the western province of Zambia. I think he's disappointed. He's lost the ability to ruin some of those families he's lost the ability to keep kids beat down and families beat down and women beat down as the church comes together and finds their identity in a different place there was a school that was about to open and there was a young man who was there was a guy from the city that was talking to this young man from the from the bush and they were sent, the, young, the guy from the city said, this school doesn't belong in the bush, it belongs in the city. And the young man said, but we're people too. Where did he learn that? He learned that in his relationship with Christ. We're people too. The spiritual forces that are at work in our country and in our neighborhoods and even in our families, are tearing us down. And yet in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10 and beyond, we see that we can stand in Christ. There's a great book that I love, uh, This Present Darkness. And in This Present Darkness, there is a description from an author who's, you know, it's it's a novel, it's a fiction. But he describes maybe what it could look like Where the spiritual war is so much bigger than the war that we're fighting here. And there's an old lady in church who's praying, and nobody sees her praying, and she's the biggest champion in the church. Because the angels take ground when she prays. And I just love that picture, it turned everything on its head. How does God work in the church? When does God work in the church? When we come together and pray. God is the one who is advancing the gospel. And he'll do it with or without us. And we have a privileged invitation to join him in what he's doing. But I want you to know people and spiritual forces will be against us. So what is there for people who are searching for the gospel in a hostile world? In this story, the town quieted and a clerk got up and, and spoke reason. And God used this clerk, and doesn't seem to be Christian to me, but God used him powerfully to calm everything down and to bring things back to order. What is there for those who are searching in a hostile world? first thing I want you to know is the world has been hostile since Jesus walked the planet and before. That the difficulties of bringing the gospel and the good news, the difficulties of having healthy family, the difficulties of having a healthy community have always been with us. But God is the one who is bringing healthy community through the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, and he called us his children. He called us his brothers. He called us friends. No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends, joint heirs with Christ. He gave us his Holy Spirit. He promised that he would return and take us home, and he left us here for a little while to declare the excellencies of our Savior. I've been a part of the church and a part of the United States now for well, the church for over forty years and part of the United States for all fifty-seven of my years. And I think it's pretty much the plight of every fifty-seven year old to bemoan the what was when he was a child. That everything seems messed up now. But I'll tell you the truth. Today, there has never been a better time to tell people the truth of the gospel. And that'll be true tomorrow, just as it was true yesterday. And God will use what Demetrius does for the kingdom. All we have to do is show up and preach, teach, and stand faithful. God will use the mobs and the disquieting Craziness. I remember watching one time as the mob was going through and breaking into buildings. You know, it was a it was a mob after the it doesn't matter. Mob going through, and there's this girl trying to stop people. That's not what we came here for. Well, the truth is everybody came for different reasons. And it's a mess. There's not even unity in our disunity. And God came to unite us. God came to unite us around the message of his loving son. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the message. While you were still a mess in Barrington, in Algonquin, in Lake in the Hills. As I watched church in Zambia, I thought we need what they have as I watch them sing with their whole hearts and fill that room with joy and questions about what does this mean for me, as I see people's lives changed where they go from lost in their sin to being a leader in the church in a short amount of time, I think we're poor by comparison. And I want what they have. What do they have? They have the hope and the power that comes only through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to them by a loving Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You might have come here empty. You might have come here with your marriage falling apart. You might have come here with just clinging to hope, wondering if there's a future. Well, I'll tell you what I would tell them, what I tell my own heart. The hope that is available in Christ is eternal. His mercies are new every morning. And his faithfulness to the end of time. This morning I'm calling us to rise up and be the church. Grow up in your faith. Take it seriously. There's a war going on and Satan would have you sleep through the whole war. Wake up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to begin by asking you to bless, encourage, build the church in the western province of Zambia. I pray that you would encourage the pastors, encourage Philemon, encourage those at Zambia Works, encourage the ones who've been doing the hard work for the better part of a decade. I pray that they wouldn't give up. I pray that you'd bring helpers I pray that in some small way we could help. And Father, I pray that at the same time we would see what our brothers and sisters are experiencing and Father, I pray that you would give us that as well. I pray that we would stop putting our faith and trust in our wealth, in our stuff, in our plans. And I pray that you would work powerfully in the church and in the united states again would you bring revival and would you use us to bring it in jesus name